in, in the first uh, letter of Corinthians, in the 13th chapter. We're only going to be reading the 8th through the uh, 12th verses. Actually, we're going to be reading all of it. Thank you, John. That's okay. Um, oh, Jim says he can't hear. Thank you, Jim. Sorry about that. Is that better? Thank you. Hear now the word of God. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envying. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Became a man, I put away childhood or childhood behind. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. This is the word of God. You may be seated. If you're uh, sitting beside someone, you might lean over and ask them, "Have we? Uh, are we there yet? Would you do that real quickly? Just lean over and say, are we there yet? That seemed to be the going phrase for, uh, that seemed to be the going phrase for a lot of the, the trips I remember. I was, I was driving down the road the other day and I saw a brand new Odyssey Honda Odyssey minivan, and in the back seat was a screen TV for the children or whoever was in the back that was not just this small. It must have been this big. You could actually be three or four cars behind it and watch the movie as, as people were going down the road. And I thought, you know, how ingenious that, that uh, the car companies have thought about putting something to divert children or adults 
from a trip as they travel down the road because so often, as you and I both know, when we're on a trip, we're more anticipating being there than on the way to being there. Uh, For those of you who have uh, Google Maps and you use your phone to get directions where you need to go, you will know this, that, uh, that Google Maps is not always foolproof, is it? In fact, um, one of the trips that Cindy and I made was to the General Assembly out in Sacramento. We, got, we arrived in Sacramento after dark. We got a rental car, and we began to make our way to the church where we were, or the hotel where we were staying. And we typed in on the Google Map or on the map software that was on the car, our destination, and we started going down dirt roads in Sacramento that we had never seen before, and we began to realize we were crossing dikes that were meant for floodwaters, and we suddenly dawned on us that we were in the wrong place, and my wife looked at me and said, are we there yet? And I thought, not anywhere close. Why do I start this morning by talking about that in light of our scripture? Well, let me ask you as a church, are you there yet? Are you there yet? Love is patient. It's kind. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't hold a grudge. Are you there yet? Well, the real question that Paul is asking the Corinthians in the letter is that question. Are you there yet? Let me show you a better way. Why the better way? Because the way they had been living as a church was far from the heart of Christ. Now, how do we know that? Well, if you have to go back and read the rest of the letter, starting with the first chapter, but you'll notice in that church there were party divisions. I follow a Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Jesus. That last one always gets me. But I tell you, I've gotten to the point in my life where anyone starts coming to me and says, I'm, I'm a professional and I follow Jesus. I hold on to my wallet, don't you? Or I see people advertising uh, their business with a fish symbol on it. That's the last people I call these days. Do you know why? Because so often it commercializes our faith in such a way that you and I better be very careful. Very careful that we don't commercialize Jesus as the same way. You see, because you and I are on a journey, we're not there yet. God is at work perfecting you. He is molding you. He is at the business of saving you. And in that salvation that he started in the cross, that salvation was a salvation that was meant to conform you to the image of Christ. And so when I hear the words, are we there yet? The real question I have is, do you know what's going to happen when you get there? Do you know what that looks like? Do you know what that means for you? Do you understand what changes will happen when that time comes when you have arrived. I dare say when we think about loving people, the Bible makes it very clear that the words for love that are used are four different ones. You probably know them. The first I remember is uh, philio. We get the word Philadelphia. It's brotherly love. And so when we think of the church, we think, well, it ought to be a place where there's brotherly love. And, And I dare say that if you ask people in this church, those of you who are visiting, uh, you ask members of this church, is this a friendly church? And we say, yes, we're a friendly church. But the problem is we're friendly to each other. We don't really understand how to be friendly to strangers or people who are different from us. Are we there yet? 
Then there's stoge. That's a word that they used in the, in the Greek world to describe the love of a father and a son, a mother and a daughter, a parent and a child. It's a love that is different from Philadelphia. It has deeper significance in many ways. And then there's eros, which is that love you have when you do want to get married to someone. And you have a passion to be with them. You can only think about them in your waking and in your sleeping hours, those moments when you fall in love. But the words that, that are used by Paul in describing for us the greater way is a word called agape or agapao. It's a word that really describes the kind of love that never expects something from something or someone. In fact, in 1 John 4, chapter 10, the Apostle John reminds us, and I love this. He says, this is love. And you think, oh boy, it's biscuits in the morning, homemade. No, it's, it's my spouse grabbing me by the neck and passionately kissing me. No, it's a friend I haven't talked to in years calling me on the phone saying, how are you? No, this is love. Not that we love God, but that God That's the most amazing message anyone could hear. Why does God love us? I'm still trying to figure that out. Now, I know in my heart I'm a lovable person. But as I stand before God, as you do, the question, why would God love us? The only answer the Bible gives is that he chooses to love you hear this? He knows everything about you, and he chooses to love you. This is why Paul calls it the better way, and he goes on and talks about how in the Corinthian church, they, they are having problems in their church because they have no knowledge of this love. You see, in that church, God, God had done some miraculous things. He had given them spiritual gifts where when they gathered together in meetings like this, someone would stand and say, I am in feeling as the Lord is telling me that we need to prepare for a drought or some persecution. And I want us to be prepared for that because the Lord is making it so evident to us, to me, through the Spirit, that God is going to be allowing some things to happen that we are not prepared for. And in that word of prophecy, the congregation would gather and they would hear that and they would pray, Lord, how are we to pray and prepare for whatever it is you're warning us? And in that prophecy moment, a word of knowledge would come where someone would say, this is what the Lord wants us to do. And you say, well, wait a minute, how does that happen? Well, remember when Joseph was sold into slavery and he was under the, the Pharaoh of Egypt? Remember how he would have dreams and he would have revelations that there was going to be droughts and things that would happen? This is a word of knowledge. And in the Spirit's leading of God's people, the Spirit still does this today. Why does God do that? 
because he wants the church to be about the business of preaching the gospel of Christ to a world that is in darkness. And so God is calling us as a church to proclaim Christ to a world and filled with darkness, we are to bring the light of Christ into their life. And what is that light? That light is that this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loves us. And let me tell you, when you look in the Middle East, there is a lot of reasons to think that's not true. When you look at the way in which we live in our culture today, there's a lot of people asking, where is the love of God? And the answer is, there is no love of God in the world. No one seeks after God. No one loves him. That's what the Bible says. Well, if no one does, then why are we here? That's a good question. If you've come here to worship the one true God and to love him, it's not because you're such a smart person. It's because you understand that God first loved you, just as you are. And when someone comes to that knowledge and they grasp the love of God that is in Christ, that he would go to the cross to bear our sins for us before we ever thought of him, and it changes you, then in that moment, you have crossed over into life, whereas you were once living in death, because God is life. Isn't that beautiful? Well, this wonderful church called Corinth had all these gifts. The Spirit was at work among them in powerful ways. But something happened in the midst of that moment where their flesh, their selfish hearts got in the way and they began to make comparisons. They began to say, well, do you speak in tongues? Do you have any words of prophecy? God gave me one. Did he give you one? Well, you must not be as close to God. You know, I never really understood how much of a demarcation can happen in your life until one of the first Thanksgivings that I gathered with my family after I became a pastor of a church. By the way, don't ever tell someone that you're a pastor. They'll, they'll, they'll totally change their behavior in front of you. I'll never forget I was coming back from Gordon Conwell Seminary as a student, and I was taking the, the old Piedmont Airlines. Wasn't that a great airline? Ken Belk was a mechanic for that airline. The old Piedmont airline, and as we would fly back to Charlotte in, the, in that, that uh, gosh, I even remember how much the ticket was. It was $120 round trip. I remember getting on the plane, and, and as I was sitting with other people, I had one guy who was on his, like, his fifth or sixth or seventh drink, and he was just ready to hammer himself as he got home. And he was just ready to talk and be jovial with me because he had had enough to imbibe himself. And I just wanted to be left alone. I was tired. I was ready to be with family. And he looked at me and said, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from South Carolina. He goes, really? Isn't that great? What are you, what are you doing up here in Boston? I said, well, I'm going to a seminary. And he said, what's a cemetery? And I said, so I said, seminary. And he said, Oh, he said, what is that? He said, well, that's a place you go to learn how to become a pastor. And he goes, and at that moment, his mouth was full of drink, and he went, <laughs> no kidding. And for the next hour, 
he began to tell me what a great person he was. How he loved his family, took care of his children. And they were all lies. In the Corinthian church, they began to measure their Christian level of maturity by how the Holy Spirit was using them. And slowly but surely, they began to schism or split apart. When I got home to my family for Thanksgiving and I was ordained, everyone said, well, it's time for the blessing. Let's let the preacher pray. I felt it. That somehow by being ordained, I was closer to God than you? Really? Do you know that in the cross of Christ, when God shed his blood for you, he brought you as close as anyone can get to the breast of God, your Father. Well, I dare say the question that Paul is dealing with this morning is, listen, Corinthians, are you there yet? Do you understand what God has done in such a way that it's changing your life? Let me tell you, churches are struggling with this now. There are churches that are splitting over stupid things, insignificant things, arguing about things instead of thinking about the Lord of glory and leading people to Christ. Are we there yet? Here's what we find from this scripture that is very important. Paul says love never fails. And thank God for that. Because let me tell you, as a church, we will fail. We will fail each other. We will fail God. But love never fails. Why is that so important? Paul says, listen, where your prophecies were so important, they will cease where you had a, a, a tongue, where, where you were speaking a heavenly language that was, that was God's gift to the church and, and, and impressing upon them that Christ lives and is among us, it will be stilled. That, that the knowledge that God has given you, how he has opened the Old Testament scripture to let you see how Christ was the fulfillment of all that God promised there to the people of the Old Testament and now has made it known that mystery that was kept secret for ages has been revealed and you know it. That will pass away. Why will it pass away? Because there's coming a day, my friends, when Christ returns, when all of what we're experiencing as a church will be paled in comparison to the glory of seeing the one true God in his presence. We, we walk by faith, by, by, by faith and hope in our walk today. We, we come to church hoping that God hears our prayer. When we get to heaven, it won't be a hope or a li- something of faith that we'll be experiencing. We will be face to face with the living God. And we will not have to fear because he will have covered our sin. Cast them as far as the east is from the west and chooses to remember them no more. Have you thought of that? What a powerful statement. Not only does Paul emphasize that important truth for us, but he goes on and he says, I want you to understand the difference between what is sufficient and what is permanent. 
Go back to the scripture. And he says, look, for, in verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part when the, when the completeness come, what is in part will disappear. Well, why does he use that illustration? Well, I, I can tell you in this way, it's really quite beautiful. Uh, I think it was an early church father who talked about this. He said, he said in such an astounding way, he said, when we come to church and we worship God and we sing of the grace of the cross, it's a light for us. It's a bright light in the dark world around us. It draws us to it, to that message of the cross, to Jesus himself. It encourages us to, to reach out by faith and trust that regardless of the circumstances that are happening around us, that God loves us. This is love. Not that we love God. But all of that will fade when we're in the presence of the Lord because it will be like having a flashlight and the sun rising. My wife and I were comparing flashlights a couple of weeks ago. We had the old mag lights. Do you have a mag light? I have an old mag light. It has an incandescent bulb. When I bought that flashlight and I would go hunting in the woods, I thought it was the brightest thing I'd ever seen. When you cut it on, you could spotlight anything. I was, well, I wasn't spotlighting deer. Don't think I was doing something illegal. But I was, I was spotlighting things in the woods that, that no human eye could see because it was so dark. That flashlight was so powerful. I thought, wow. They can't, they can't make anything better than that. Then they came out with these halogen bulbs. And you turn that on, and you, you're just standing there going, wow, right? Well, let me tell you, even with a halogen bulb and a flashlight, when the sun rises and it's in the sky, it pales in comparison to what really is real, doesn't it? This building, these pews, this carpet, this piano, these lights, they're all going to fade away. Your body. But the one thing that is eternal thing that God gives his people and it's eternal life you know what John says in his gospel is eternal life it is to know God and the one he has sent that's eternal life huh. you see the Corinthians were blinded by what God had given temporarily to the church and they thought oh gosh we're here we've arrived no they're all temporary things to prepare you for the reality of what you believe in the real being of the father's presence you notice Dick was lighting these candles this morning did you notice that do you know why we light candles? Well, they look pretty. They, they illuminate my bald head so you can actually see something, right? No, no. He, he, the church has lit candles like this.
to represent the presence of God. Now, does that look like God to you? It pales in comparison. All the symbolisms, everything. I had someone come in and say one day, I'll never forget, it was Roy Campbell. He was a southern gentleman. Robert, he would say. Robert, I've got something I've got to talk to you about. And I'd say, what, Roy? He said, I want you to know I want to give money to put a cross above your head right here above the pulpit. And I'd say, Roy, that doesn't fit the, the decor of our church. He said, yeah, but Robert, you don't have a cross in your church. And I said, actually, actually, we do. We have one right here on the baptismal font. Don't tell anybody. He said, but Robert, you've got to have a cross. You, are, you have a church. And I said, Roy, you don't get it, do you? He said, what? He said, we don't need a cross because we have the living Christ. The reality instead of the symbol. You hear this? If Christ lives in you, then you have come to know God and you know what love is. If Christ is not in your heart, then you, you don't know God and you have no love for your bro brothers and sisters of the church. Hmm. John ends his teaching this way. He uses two illustrations. He says, once I was a child, now I've grown up. And, and at first you think he's talking about spiritual maturity, but he's not. He's talking about perception. Perception. A child perceives differently than an adult. Uh, this past week, I was in Orlando at a stated clerks meeting. All the clerks, stated clerks of the presbytery were gathered and I'm serving presently as the stated clerk of the presbytery we belong to. I was remembering years ago when we were down in Orlando, we had gone to Disney World, and we went through, it's a small world after all. Do you remember that display? It's a small world. I can still hear the song. I won't sing it for you, but, but, but it's a small world after all. I can still hear that in my head, and I remember going through as a child, and I was just mesmerized at how this, this ride was so realistic to me as a child. I mean, I could see on these what, what looked like, well, I'm not sure, they looked like faces. They were faces that were, it was the most magical thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I remember taking my daughter Ann years later as we were down in Orlando for, for that vacation, and, and we went through the, the, the ride. It's a small world after all. And as we went through, I thought, this is it. You ever had that free feeling? This is it? What was so great about this? Well, as a child, you had a perception that was different. That's the illustration that Paul is trying to help us understand. When we come to faith in Christ, we come as a newborn babe. We have a perception. But then things happen. We get cancer. We have people who we love die. We grow old and have all kinds of problems. And then we begin to think to ourselves, what really matters? If I could just jump three feet off this stage right now and land on my feet without breaking anything, I'd be very happy. 
the only thing eternal, the only thing that lasts, is that this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved me. He's loved you. Paul uses the second illustration of a mirror. It's, it's interesting because Corinth, the city of Corinth in that day, was known for polishing mirrors that were just unbeatable. I, I, I imagine they must have been like crystal clear glasses. Have you ever been in a funny house? That was about the level of mirrors in those days. They weren't quite as clear as they are today. But as you look in the mirror, if you moved one direction or another, your face might distort one way or the other. Uh, you do that on your phone, by the way. At least someone tells me you do that on your phone. You can take a picture of yourself and stretch your image into all kinds of shapes, right? Well, in the day that Paul wrote this, he was talking about that ability to look at a reflection and it not be perfect. It did not really reflect who you really were but it gave you a close image. He said, but when, when we get there, when we get there, we see it face to face. I told you this story before, but I've still hasn't let it left my mind. I, I just can't get past it. I, I remember uh, Bill Woods, Richard Woods' brother, were at, at the wake for their father. A.W. had passed away. A.W. was a long-term member of our church. Um, the casket was open, and A.W.'s body was laying there, and Bill and I were standing to the side, way across the other side of the room, and we were watching people go by. And he kind of pulled me aside, and he said, you know, it, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. And I said, what, what Bill? He said, you know, we, I grew up at Center Church. I, I heard this all my life about the resurrection, about Christ returning, about seeing those we love, not as they once were, but as they will be glorified in that resurrection. He said, it's going to be unbelievable. We'll have to spend the next, how I, however you account, time and eternity. He said, we'll have to spend most of that time pinching ourselves, saying, it's really real. Because he had the vision of his father being resurrected and alive forever. Let me tell you, I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ this morning. I don't know where you stand as far as your faith. I don't know if you came here because you need God to give you something that you don't have right now. He's able to do that. But for the scriptures this morning, what God wants you to leave and go into your world remembering is that God loves you. He is not going to abandon you. That the things that we experience are temporary. And that ultimately when we are home with him, we will be in awe. And we will be so grateful 
so very grateful that through the trials of this life, God loved us. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and our God, as we take the time to bow before you and we think about how to love people, we, we want to acknowledge that we do not have the capacity to love in the way that you have loved. There is the potential, but it is only based upon how much we devote ourselves to knowing Jesus Christ. There may be someone in the sound of my voice who, who has never asked Christ to come and be real to him or her. There may be someone who has been distant from Christ for quite some time. They grew up in the church and they've, they've said, well, what, what could Jesus give me that I don't already have? And I want you to know he wants to give you more than you can imagine. He wants to give you that which will sustain you through the highs and lows, the ins and outs, the ups and downs, because God is the one who has given you the breath of life. He is the one who created you, and he, know why. he knows why you were created, and it was to love him and enjoy him forever. If you want to know that Christ, if you want to know him, it's more than just a simple prayer. It's a decision. First, to open and say, Jesus, forgive me. Come back into my life. Come into my life for the first time if it need be. And then open the word of God. Help me each day as I open the scriptures to hear your voice and to grow in my knowledge, in my understanding, in how I am to live my life because you love me. Forgive me of my sins. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And the people of God said together,